Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, app, Spotify, and anywhere you listen to your podcasts, also on YouTube. Joined with me today, the designated hitters themselves. We got both of them for a full episode. Alec Argento, what's up, my brother? What's up? Are, are you, Alec, are you more like, uh, you know, just trying to turn a blind eye? Obviously, we're going to dive deep into baseball right now. Are you turning a blind eye? Or are you steering in, expecting turnarounds uh, nightly right now with the Yankees? Uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm kind of all out of sorts. Yankees are on the West Coast, so I'm obviously not staying up till 2 in the morning to watch those games. Knicks are in a holding pattern with Donovan Mitchell, and, and football is four weeks away somehow. So I'm like all out of sorts with my, my, my sports fandom at the moment, to be honest with you. The West Coast trips are a blessing and a curse because you catch that one game on the West Coast where you're actually up and you're like, this is great. I wish they were always on after, you know, everything else happens in life. And then the next time you're like falling asleep in the third inning. Uh, also here, Andrew Kalanya. My brother, what's going on? Hey, how's it going? Ready to talk about the uh, topics that are not only on the minds of the sports uh, nation, but the actual country itself. Jacob Truba was named the 28th captain in New York Rangers history today. Congratulations to him. An odd choice, I will say, but... Uh, I, I personally thought they should have gone with Kreider. Kreider has been the heart and soul of the team, kind of the up and coming guy. But Truba is really the tough guy, uh, kind of sets the tone for overall for the Rangers offense. And uh, it, I would say pretty well-deserved uh, captain here. Can really I raise my hand on down. this one? Can I raise yeah, my hand? They, there's 28 captains in Rangers history. Yeah. Yankees have had like 11 captains. They're just throwing that captain title out too often. No, they, like they every, have. They ha- they haven't Too had much. a captain since uh, two thousand. Last one's right. I think two thousand and eleven. But it was like it's kind of an odd choice. I'll I'll, I'll uh, compare it to the Yankees here for a second. So everyone knows that eventually Aaron Judge is going to get named captain of the Yankees, and that's kind of the Chris Kreider situation. Me? Yeah. So that that would be mix? like that. No. So and so <laughs> that would be like the Yankees coming out tomorrow. And saying like DJ LeMahieu is the captain of the Yankees, so it wouldn't be undeserved, but it was just like it was kind of an odd choice. But you get it at kind of get it at the same time. Is he old? Truba, no. But I, no, I there's a there's Kreider. the unrealistic. Uh, Kreider's not old. He's Kreider's primed up. Like I, he's 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 thirty. He's primed up. Double cheek. Kind of, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Drew, because I was going to just play a sound and move on, but now I'm curious. Is it standard practice to have a captain at all times, though, in hockey? No, it's not. The Yan- Again, the not. Rangers haven't had a captain since uh, McDonough left uh, like five, six years ago. Right. Because, like, so. in football, like, you have four captains, like, no matter mm. what. Sometimes I think there's more than that. There's, like, a four, yeah. like two four-stars, and there's, like, all different stars of captaining. I don't know, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, there you go. Congrats to your cocks. Let's talk about some baseball then and just go right into How it. How long have we had that drop? <laughs> Forever. We've had it for a little while. Shout out to Pat Boyle. That's uh that's Jody Mack, legendary mm-hmm. radio personality. Um he on the fan, WIP in Philly, CBS Sports Radio National. 
he, he was talking some some March Madness and just had to give a congratulations to South Carolina in, in a manner that will live forever. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Let's talk about the Mets and the Yankees here. First, though, we must talk about that action at DraftKings Sportsbook because the action never ends over there, especially this summer with tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports. You can fuel your fandom and feel the heat like never before. And I'm talking feeling the heat in New York right now is already pretty serious. You're going to feel it even more with the DraftKings cooking. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000. And if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. That means just make that first bet up to $1,000. If you lose, you get all that money back to try to cash in again. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options are endless. I'm riding the New York Mets. If you listen to this show, if you've been listening to these DraftKings reads, I've been telling you guys, ride the Mets. It's been working. You got to keep cooking. It's better now than it's ever been before. I'm not afraid to start riding the Yankees again. The Yankees as well. A couple bad weeks. They're back on the schneid. Why not parlay the Mets and Yankees together? Little New York special. How you doing? How you been? That's a win. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Uh, obviously, the, like it's now Wednesday when this episode's out. Uh, we don't know if the Mets won yet tonight, but they're winning currently. The Yankees don't start for another 30 minutes. Uh, but right now, the tensions, put them where you want, but the general vibe is positive for the Mets, negative for the Yankees. You can argue the the level of negativity, which I'm sure we will on this episode, because maybe you can argue it's an over panic. Maybe you can argue it's an under panic. We're going to get there. But post-trade deadline, the team is now set until they can get an extended roster in a, in a handful of weeks here. But what were the general thoughts here, Drew? So let's start with you. I want you to kind of pick your biggest takeaway from the trade deadline, Mets or Yankees. I don't care if it's one or the other instead of steering you in one direction. So what's your biggest takeaway now that the trade deadline's over and the Mets and Yankees are set for the time being? As far as the Yankees go, um, you know, I know everyone talked about Juan Soto, but the, if you look at the package that the that the Padres gave up to get him, there was no way the Yankees were going to be able to ever match that. So, like, if you want to, like, co- do the compare game, the Yankees don't even have the caliber prospect. So, like, they traded C.J. Abrams, which would have been a Volpe, and then they traded Mackenzie Gore, which is Volpe, but as a pitcher. And then they had this uh, this this minor league, uh, this low A prospect, which would be Volpe in in single A, which the Yankees just didn't have the prospect capital. Um, the Mets certainly did, but I don't think the Nationals were ever going to trade him within the division. Um, so as far as what the Yankees did actually did do, um, you know, they replaced Gallo, which they had to do. They got the second best pitcher on the market. I mean, I really want Castillo, but if the Reds were insisting on Volpe. I think it was the right move to be able to give away lower end prospects and and um, and go out and get Montas. You know, giving up Wellchuck uh, hurts a little bit, but the Yankees have been able to develop mid round draft picks into higher end pitching prospects. So I feel like they'll still be able to do that um, going forward. And they're able to address the bullpen. You know, 
I think Alec made the guess of they're going to go out and get somebody that we'd never heard of and be able to turn him into uh, a big pitcher, which is Efros. Um, and he's going to be on the – he still has like another five years of team control left, so he's going to be on the roster for a while. But I do really like the Trevino pickup, I think, because he's a sinker guy. I think like that's the kind of guy the Yankees turn into. You know, he had like a 60 ERA going into, but he hasn't given up any kind of any any hard contact or any runs at all since he's come over to the Yankees. So I feel like he's going to be able to really turn it around and be a late inning weapon for them, which they desperately needed now that King's done for the year. And obviously Chad Green's been done for the year for a little while now. Um, as far as the Mets go. Uh, oh, wait, well, let's, uh, uh, let's just stay, stay the Yankees first. Okay. okay. Let, let's that's let my, Alec react. Yeah, no, go, it's go good, it. I want to obviously hear your Mets take too, but let's, yeah. let's tackle that Yankees while, while we're here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Yankees went and got every position that they needed to get at the deadline. Um, it's not gelling perfectly at the at the moment. You're starting to see things ironing themselves out. Ben Intendi starting to get some hits out there. I think that uh, I think you, everyone knows that if you come over in a trade deadline, you're not producing immediately. You're going to struggle for the next two weeks or so. That's just kind of it, how it goes, and it's getting yourself out of there. So I'm not too worried about him. What I I'm worried about is Frankie Montas. I didn't really think that was the right person to go for at the deadline in general. They clearly got him because of his experience against the Astros. If you look at it, his splits are ridiculous there. But anybody coming out of Oakland, nine times out of ten, they're benefited by that park and the ridiculous designs that they have of that park. So his splits home road were outrageous. Uh, I think mm-hmm. he had like a five ERA outside of Oakland and like a 1.9 or something like that in Oakland. That's not the type of pitch you really want yet in Yankee Stadium, just in general there. Obviously, I, I think we all would have liked Castillo. Castillo's price tag was outrageous. If there's ever a year to go for a Castillo, it's this year. But, you know, I understand that. I don't really want to give up a Volpe if we need to have a shortstop of the future coming in. And I don't think anybody's super convinced on on uh, uh, on Peraza. I think Peraza's a nice trade piece. I don't think he, anybody envisions him as like a core staple of the future. And then, obviously, where the weirdest part of this is why, why Jordan Montgomery is off the team. That made no sense to anyone. I think a lot of people speculate that – I know Drew was throwing this out there, mm-hmm. uh, but that there was an extra layer of that deal that was supposed to happen with another team to get Pablo Lopez or whatever the case is. I don't think Brian Cashman does that, knowing that he's been the general manager of the Yankees for, like, 25 years. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't think that you just I, – I, I think that's a rookie GM position. A uh, uh, position to make or situation uh, to happen with that kind of situation, and I just it doesn't make any sense to me. That being said, getting immediately blanked by Montgomery, you knew that was going to happen. Getting immediately blanked by Castillo, you knew that was going to happen. I've been trying to temper my expectations with the Yankees and be realistic about everything instead of being super hot tempered the entire year. It's like a like a New Year's resolution I've had. I think I've been pretty good with that. Um, I'm worried. I'm not panicked. I'm not close to panicked, but I'm like at like a 3.8 right now where I was a negative 33 weeks ago or whatever it was. So until just to summarize this until the Yankees are like consistently worried about their position in the division race, I'm not going to be worried. They still have the best record in the American league, which is literally the only thing that matters uh, out of this whole situation and remains to be seen if they keep it going. But it's almost like your uh, percentage of, panic has gone up a lot but the actual score is still pretty low right for sure yeah 100 
And to talk about the the Montgomery trade here, that's such a trade that you see would be made. Like I I thought they would make that trade in like November after the season's over. I would I would love that trade. Yep. Come November, I don't love that trade when there's a there's a very realistic chance that Bader doesn't play for the Yankees this year. Like he might come back in September, but his plantar fasciitis or whatever is with his leg, like that might not heal in time for him for him to come back. So like. What did you really do here? And again, you're going to be throwing out Herman for the rest of the season. And the, he's not a, a, a guy that can give you innings. And Montgomery, outside, he was the, the set, number two starting pitcher for the Yankees that gave you six innings or more outside of Cole. It was number two, Montgomery's here. So you had a reliable innings eater who was giving you an ERA of three. Nothing spectacular every time, but he was at least eating, eating innings at a decent clip. So to replace him with Herman and, you know, Montas who still has to kind of get his feet underneath him. And he still has to go over things with the catcher and get on the same page and go over things with Blake and the pitching coach and to be able to um, kind of game plan him for a little bit. I just thought it was a very odd move to make for a team that has championship aspirations this year. And, and with the whole pitching staff in general, just to think about it from like a big picture perspective, I, I remember our past conversations from previous episodes from our most recent to, you know, four or five episodes ago, it, it was astonishing at some point of the, of the season that the Yankees rotation hadn't missed a, a start basically, mm -hmm. right? Only two of the, of the non uh, top five guys got one start each. Right. So like the, the pitching rotation was intact the entire time. We knew something was going to happen there. Right. So Severino's on the IL now. Now Montgomery's out of the rotation, as you guys just explained. Like, could that be looked at as a positive, though? Because we just expected some sort of regression from these guys. And if you look through the st the simple ERA for that main five, if we're talking two months ago, it's like, who's got a 1.7? Who's got a 2.2? Oh, Cole, what a slouch at 3.4, right? Now it, you look at it again, Cole's still at a 3.4, but then it's um, 3.9 for Tyone. It's 3.7 for Montgomery. Nestor's up to 2.6, like, that that beautiful, just seamless, no hole pitching staff has found some holes here. So is it the fact that there's just any change at all could be looked at as a huge positive? I go ahead. One thing I always like to mention is every year at like August and September, balls start flying out of the stadiums because it's 105 degrees outside. So you're gonna have infl especially in New York, you're gonna have inflated ERAs from what you had four months ago when it was like 40 degrees out when you were pitching. I'm not too worried about that just in general. Um, so I, I always just kind of like the caveat things uh, with that. But, well, can, I, can I ask one question though? Like sure. in regards to the Yankees in particular here though, like over the last two weeks specifically, they are giving up like way more runs than most. They're giving teams. up more home runs. They're, they're right. giving up more they're home giving runs. Up well, the fourth most runs in the league right now. No, sure. I, I, my thing is that I think what my second point was is that they're retooling this team right now, assuming that they're going to be an October team. They're, they're taking, they're taking their foot off the gas and resting people because they know they have this crazy division lead. Anthony Rizzo should probably be on the aisle. They're just kind of keep, they're doing weird things right now, but also they're Montgomery's not, was clearly not in the Yankees plans to make the, the, the postseason rotation. They shored up their bullpen. 
I, the only outlier right now that you have in the bullpen is questionable performance from Clay Holmes and, and Earl Chapman. And I think that'll sort itself out by the end of the year. Uh, for, but everybody that they've lost in the bullpen, they've effectively replaced immediately, whether it's like Marinaccio, who's been nails or, you know, getting Efros or Trevino, who is the exact type of pitcher this bullpen's needed for a while with like, that's another thing they did with this, the, the, this bullpen at the trade deadline is they very, they diversified it a ton. Usually they have these, these flamethrowers coming out. You have Efros who's got these, this funky stuff that comes out of the pen. You have Trevino who effectively slots into that Zach Britton role that you need in your team. And then you have someone like Clay Holmes when at his best is a, a really hot, high contact pitcher that keeps the ball down a ton, but still throws a hundred miles an hour. So they're, they're reworking things right now. And I think that's part of it is they're, they're, you're seeing the inner machinations of them experimenting for the postseason, And also the summer, usually the ball start flying out and around this time of the year, everybody's uh, ERA start getting inflated. So that's my point. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely that, and I will obviously say that the weather obviously is a factor here. But obviously, like the the way that they started out, the way that the pitching staff started out, and the way that the Yankees started out in general were like they were on a historic pace to you know win 130 games or something like that. Was never going to happen. That's all smoke and mirrors. So like I like to say. What I was saying before, you know, in the group chat that, you know, how how afraid are you that this start was, you know, that this team is smoking mirrors? I don't think the team is smoking mirrors. I think that historical pace that they were on and the pitching staff were on, that was always going to be smoking mirrors. So a couple of stats here um, just on the pitching staff in general. The first basically they uh, pulled up these stats right at the 106 game mark. So the first 50 three games of the season, they led the league in ERA, FIP second in K percentage, uh, least amount of walks, least amount of home runs, um, number one in war. And then they, they regressed back terribly in the last 15 games, 15th in innings per start, 21st in ERA, 24th in FIP. Um, K's are still pretty much there, but the home runs jumped up. They went from first to basically last in that home run rate, which again, you can attribute to the weather. You can also just attribute to regression on a lot of those pitchers. Like Garrett Cole was always a, you know, he, he did a great job at the beginning of the year of limiting home runs, but he was always, he's always a home run pitcher. And I feel like Nesta Cortez was never going to, you know, keep the home runs out of the ballpark at that rate either. So again, I think it, there is a regression to the mean. It just, this regression has come down, much harder than I think a lot of us um, hoped it would be. So they're in, they're still set at a, you know, a pretty decent spot overall, just not, not great, not great. These last 53 games. Also, I want to throw something out there. Nestor Cortez has not been bad. He still has like a two. No, he's, ERA, he's, but he's, <laughs> he's been great, but obviously he was pitching to like a one ERA at the beginning of the year. He just knew that that wasn't the last time. We always said that, you know, Probably by the end of the year, he's ERA is going to be in like the low threes. And that's perfectly, right. that's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. I think you also have to, you know, you also have to chalk it up to a lot of these guys in the Yankees rotation. Um, Nestor Cortez is up at his innings limit right now. So you have to think that these guys also have to be a little gassed. Well, um, well not, and, not his and, limit, his, his normal or his longest season. He doesn't have a pitch. Uh, just to be clear, he doesn't have an innings limit on him. No, well, yeah. Right. The longest, the most amount of innings he's ever pitched in a, in a season his entire life. And it's the same. And it's why they, you know, Severino said he was feeling good, but the Yankees put him on the 60 day IL just because like, Hey, we want you fresh for October. And I feel like a lot of the moves 
and stuff as Alec was mentioning that they these are all made for October. Right. Um, it's just a matter of getting there between now and you know end of September. And, yeah, I mean, you, you look at you look at players. If the Yankees were in desperate need of Anthony Rizzo, of Giancarlo Stanton, like these players would be in the lineup. They'd be fighting through. They don't need to. They don't need to risk Luis Severino's long-term health. Clearly, Severino thinks he can go out there. So, if they were in desperate need, if they were in a division race right now to do so, then they'd probably. I'm not saying all of them, but there's a good amount of these people on the IL right now that would probably be in the lineup day day after day. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and playing. They've been playing shorthanded the base of this entire road trip. Like Rizzo's missed six games now, and they just they just haven't put him on the IL for some reason. Just put him on the IL. Stop playing shorthanded for all these games. You know, they Boone said before the beginning of today, if he comes out okay during batting practice, he's going to play tomorrow. But just like I don't know if he if you if he's going to miss seven games, just put him on the IL and don't play shorthanded for all that time. That doesn't make. I hate when the Yankees do. They did that. Um, they've done that a bunch of times in, in recent years. So they just play shorthanded because they don't want to lose three games of of a guy. Just you know, if the postseason's what matters, then you know, rest them, rest them, rest them up. And I do find that as like a weird strategy for the Yankees specifically because of their emphasis on rest. Right? Like they're they've been frustrating fans for years now with random rest days in the biggest games for Judge or whoever it may be. Right? So mm-hmm. in that same vein putting Rizzo on the IL for 10 days, just give him the complete rest, the complete reset uh, to get back in this lineup when he's healthy. That makes more sense to me at least. But um, so I I just want to ask about from the next, you know, couple of weeks, next month and a half, I guess, what is it? Two month and a half left of the season, give or take. Yeah. So with that left, right? Like what's, what's the main thing you're looking for when you tune into a Yankee game right now? Because depending on which Yankee fan you ask is the different type of, uh, nerves you can hear from that fan. Some people are, are like not worried. Who cares? We're in a little slump. It happens. Some people are like, oh my God, like it's a little getting a little weird, a little hairy with this, with this lineup. Now Carpenter, who's been such a spark plug is out. So what what do you look for now um, in the next, you know, two weeks to month and a half where some of these like slight concerns start to become real or where you start to get back your confidence again? I, I, I want that closer situation figured out before it comes to October. So that, that's what I have to be monitoring every day as a Yankee fan. That, and I want to see guys like Josh Donaldson, who if the Yankees are going to do well in the playoffs, it's going to be a guy like that. I'm not saying he's the best player on the team. Obviously you want, you know, your, your Aaron judges are going to hinge on your, your, your success, but someone like Josh Donaldson being, he's the definition of a spark plug. If he gets hot in big moments and things like that. So uh, seeing him start to build a little bit of confidence back, which he's kind of been doing the past week or two, uh, it would be really important to see. So two things, figuring out that closer situation, the rest, the middle relief and the setup guys, I'm not worried about that whatsoever. I'm never worried about that with the Yankees, but you have two guys right now who are kind of unstable between Chapman and Holmes uh, at this point in the season. You don't really know who's going to be working out of that ninth when you come to October. And I really hope it's Holmes because I obviously do not trust Chapman in the ninth in the playoffs ever again. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you on Donaldson. I have to say Donaldson's probably been the biggest disappointment out of any Yankee coming in this year. You're talking about a guy who um, was at, you know, even going the last year, he was able to carry an offense at certain points. And, you know, he's at a career low home runs. He's at career low WRC plus. He's, a, you know, He's still great defensively and he's bringing that's all the value that he's bringing to this team right now is being a 
gold glove caliber third baseman, which is fantastic. But um, the offense is really lacking, especially when the Yankees aren't, aren't getting offense out of so many other positions. You're kind of really depending on him to be that guy that that gives you more offense than he is. So if he's able to get hot down the stretch, that's that that would be such a huge addition for for the Yankees. What I'm also looking for is the rotation is how are they going to piece together these last month, you know, month and a half and how, who's going to be put putting up these innings again, is it going to be, is it going to be Herman? Are they, you know, are they stretching out Schmidt? So maybe that he can come back up and be a starter but but I think he's better out of the bullpen, but um, you know, they traded away a lot of their upper minor league depth at the deadline, which is again, which I, I don't understand, you know, you traded away Waldachuk, you traded away Wazenski, you traded away um, Sears, these guys who are, were starters in AAA, and now you're you're kind of stuck with um, with really no upper le- upper minor league uh, starting pitching depth um, to kind of get there. So if there's another major injury, um, you know, God forbid, that's uh, that's going to be a real problem between now and then, and that really would put their best record in the American League in jeopardy. Right. It, it kind of feels to me like you, you guys need uh, a Cole. I don't want to say renaissance because that would be a disservice to how solid he's been all year, but you need a streak right now. You need him to be a stopper. You need him to be your ace. You need him to to put up some of those games where he's going seven with one run. Like he just needs to put that out there a good handful of times the rest of the season because then he's hitting the, the playoffs in stride. He is rocking, you know, a big stick out there on the mound. And, and pitching with a ton of confidence. Like, you guys need that dude, right? Nestor was that guy. Right now, he's more of the 2-3 the guy who he probably always was. Uh, but but Cole needs to be that dude. Because, like, right now, he's decent this year. He's, he's good. He can be great. We need great out of Garrett Cole. And uh, great great sign offensively is DJ Mayhew. In the last two weeks, he is uh, batting 333. He has three doubles. Uh, three doubles, three home runs. Like his OPS is almost a thousand. Like he is back. And and this offense, there's so much talked about how Judge is a one man show so often. It's not telling the whole story because other guys are stepping up sporadically. But to have a two headed monster, which DJ could be the second head of the monster, he's been that guy at different points as his Yankee career. He's there right now in the last two weeks, and he's been huge uh, in, as far as just like keeping this team afloat and keeping their their offense cooking. Absolutely. And getting, getting Stanton back to um, is going to be huge because again, he, because because uh, teams are really starting to pitch around judge again, he's, he's still on pace right now to break the American league home run record. Um, I think right now he's on pace for like 65 home runs, something like that. I think he only needs 18 more to get to 62, which is wild. And I think that's something that's going to not only get New York attention. I feel like it's going to be like 1998 again, where, if someone was actually tuning in the sports center, they're going to like cut away to Aaron judge, like at bats and stuff like that historic. Um, that would be awesome. I, I do hope that that happens because baseball is just better when, when there's some national stuff and we could be as locked in as we want to our, our Mets and our Yankees and you know, each market can be locked into their own thing. But when you get the national coverage, it makes it that much more special. And this will segue us to the Mets here. We can make our last words in the Yankees, but like even the, the way the subway series was covered this year and the reports on all the ratings and stuff. And Drew, you could probably even speak to that a little more than us, but um, like the ratings on the, the subway series were huge. It was, yeah. it was a, a worldwide thing or a nationwide thing there. It wasn't just New York city 
being hyped about their two good teams. The country was was tuned in, and that's not something we can say happens super frequently over the past like handful of years, right? So that that excitement on the national landscape is huge. I don't know what the other big storylines are going to be. There's some op- opportunities for the Soto Padres to take off, even though they've started slow since they uh, since they made that trade. And the Astros Yankees thing will always be big. So I'm hoping that some of that stuff remains big as it is right now. Uh, same with the Mets and Braves. The Braves hang on and, and they and they see each other again. That'll be huge. So I'm excited about all that. So put a pin in the Yankees. Any last words on the Yankees? General vibes. Uh, any messages to the fans? Messages to the haters? What do, you, what do you got for us? It's it's tough um, right now, honestly. Like again, we we I put that story up on the in, uh, on our Instagram page of like the vibes are just so different. And again, the the Mets right now have the highest uh, percentage to win the World Series according to FanGraphs, um, and that was held on by the Yankees for for most of the season, um, which is it's it's unfortunate. Um, but again, the Yankees are still a very good team. They're just not a historically good team. Um, and it just, the, the warts seem a whole lot worse when you got off to such a hot start as they did. Um, again, you're never as good as you are when you're playing your best and you're never as bad as you are when you're playing at your worst, which is what they're doing right now. They're all, you're always somewhere in the middle. That's how, that's my baseball, uh, Zen philosophy there. So you know, they're, they're a better team than what they're showing, but they're not as good as what they were in, you know, April, May, June. I'm also looking forward to uh, a, a lesser schedule. I mean, think of the teams that we've been losing to. It's not been slouches for the most part outside of like the Reds, but you, you lost to the Mariners at home. You lost to the Cardinals. You lost to the Mets. You lost to the Astros. Like you're not losing consistently to the Reds or the Tigers or anything like that. You're losing to the best teams in baseball with a shorthanded team and some question marks and retooling right now and resting and your foot off the, off the gas. I'm not saying that they're walking into the world series right now, even though my, my uh, name says that she's still not allowed to the parade, but um, <laughs> you know, I'm also not super worried until they're at full force in the playoffs, which it seems like they're gearing everything to make sure that they are by resting the players that they need to rest. And then you'll have extra people coming out uh, in September for, for, for some minor leaguers and everything like that with the expanded roster that you can throw out to, to spell some people out there. So not too worried yet, but definitely looking forward to a lesser schedule. Yeah. I mean, the Mets and Cardinals are two of the hottest teams in baseball right now. And you saw them in the last two weeks. Like it's, it's something that's tough to, to, to really get beat up about when that's the case. And you add in the injuries and, and the shorthandedness on your own side. Uh, so if this continues for another three weeks where you're losing weeks, listen, then there's a reason to be nervous, like for real, you know, like, cause if you're putting up losing weeks and you're losing series, all of a sudden, you know, you're not in first place in the American league. And then you start to get a little nervous, right? Then you, then you need to turn around before the playoffs big time before you get in there. So we'll, we'll, we'll obviously monitor. All right. Mets time. Get the trumpets going. Uh, Drew. I think my, before we start on the Mets, the, the, I understand that the trumpet, thing is you know it's fun and i think it's i think it's probably the best thing about the mets but when i see met fans do the trumpet like this it looks like they're doing something else like the, what the gen zers do when they get on the jumbotron with the two hands <laughs> and, well, I find man, it, and i find it i find it i find it hilarious how about how about uh mookie bets and the dodgers 
Did you guys mm. see that celebration in the oh, Yes. You got oh, you got <laughs> I didn't see it on Sports Center. I saw it on like a website online yeah. that it shouldn't have been it was an accidental find or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> he was, that was a truck. <laughs> that was about as blatant as you can get. He's he's double freaking twisting three thousand and then get water splash in his face. Yeah, I'm just thankful like a- I don't have a TV crew on me at all times with my friends because they would catch the worst thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a, the the the, cir- the circle <laughs> the circle into the face finish was something else. Yeah, that was that was that was crazy. But the the trumpets, which I, I have to be honest, like that's a real song, and I'm actually I'm looking for the name of the song. Uh, and it's funny that it's just become the trumpet song. People don't even know that it's an actual like house song. They think it's like some trumpets, mm-hmm. just trumpets, right? It's uh, it's mm-hmm. by the Bahamas. It's who let the dogs out? <laughs> <laughs> Buck Showalter. He let the dogs out. So all right, let's get back on track here. Uh, the Mets made some moves, none quite as splashy as you know maybe Mets fans hoped. However, those moves are paying off dividends quickly. Which, like Alex said, I think you might have said this before we started recording. If a guy from the trade kind of gets off to a slow start, you kind of expect an extra two weeks of that. It's hard to turn that around right away. The Mets had the opposite, like Vogelbach and Nyquin, Tyler Nyquin have come in just guns a blazing, right? Like they're both hitting home runs. They're both hitting for good average. They're getting on base. They're doing everything and more that they were expected to do. So on that side, you kind of expect a little bit of a downturn at some point here. But Drew, Mets, deadline, what the roster looks now looks like now. Uh, what do you say? I uh, as I was trying to say of when I was starting before, but um, I really think it was kind of inexcusable for them to not go out and get a catcher, um, unless the I understand the gun shyness because Pete Crow Armstrong is now a top one hundred prospect in baseball, and they gave him up for buys last year. So unless the Cubs were asking for Alvarez or for Beatty, who's now in AAA for uh, the Mets, so I would fully assume that you're going to see them in early 2023 next year. So that's uh, that's really exciting that you have two top like 30 prospects that are ready to come up and contribute to the major league. So I totally get the, the hesitancy to not give those guys up for a rental. And unless that's what the Cubs are asking for, like if you're they're asking for Mauricio, I would have given him up for because you already have Lindor and you have McNeil. So I don't understand needing an up the middle guy. Um, I've been more than comfortable giving him one him up for, to get um, Contreras because uh, God, Nito and Nito and McCann just aren't getting it done offensively, and they, you know they're great catchers and uh, Degrom and the staff like throwing to them, and that's 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 fine. But uh, I feel like they needed more thump in the lineup, and Vogelbach has been has been definitely been doing that. And you know, again, I don't think any of the moves they made are super splashy, but they all have the right platoon splits and I trust Buck Showalter to be able to put those guys into a position to succeed. So I don't, you know, you would like them to, to be in the Juan Soto sweepstakes, but again, I don't think the nationals were ever going to trade them within the division. So maybe you could go out and get him in three years if the Padres don't extend him. Um, but I think they're they're They made the right moves for the team um, as currently constructed without giving up major pieces for the future. Which, which, you know, on one hand, that's you'd like to know that, but at the same time, you only have Scherzer for two years, and you only know DeGrom is going to be healthy for as long as he's healthy. So right. you kind of want to go for it and find that balance of 
going for it, but at the same time, you know, not completely mortgaging your entire future for, for two seasons plus. Yeah. And I totally get what you're saying. And Nito over the last couple of weeks has actually been good, but you can't count him. Like he's not no. that there. He's definitely not that guy. So yes, he's been batting 300 in the last 10 games for himself. You know, he, he's a slap guy. He's a slap hitter. You don't feel useless when he's at the plate, but you know, nothing big is going to happen, which is a little crappy when your lineup is what it is. But like, for example, today, Nimmo gets a rest day, which he's had very few of this year. Uh, so you put Canna in into center. Now McNeil moves to left field. Guillaume, who's been great pretty much all year, especially defensively, goes to second. Escobar plays third. Like you still got JD Davis on the bench. You, you Alonso played DH uh, is playing DH tonight. Like that flexibility is insane. So on the bench tonight was Nyquin and Vogelbach, and you still feel really good about the lineup. It's kind of Marte, Lindor, Alonso, Roof, and you still get McNeil, Escobar, Guillaume to bottom out the lineup. Like when you think about the depth of the of this offense here you just feel good about it. It's kind of holeless. Like outside of Nito, mm. there's not really holes in this lineup, especially now that JD Davis is an MLB hitter again. Um, and, and like I said, you keep saying JD Davis. Do you mean um, JD Davis is on the giants now? Who, oh, who yeah. do you mean when you say, who do you mean when you say JD Davis? Oh shoot. I was just looking at uh, the, 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 the total. Oh, he got moved. I forgot. About cut that. Cut, rough. We're cut cutting that. I'll, 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 I'll wear that. I'll wear that. I was honestly, I just had uh, this, this, that's the roster resource. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 15 days. And I was just reading through it. Um, But like, yeah. So rough and rough has been okay. Since he's been here four games, Mm -hmm. whatever. But I think, uh, I I think there's three things that that are going on. Two shades of what you guys are saying. One is that, Hey, you don't have the window. I mean, you have a window bigger than you, than than one year. I I understand that DeGrom has like, injury limitations and surgery Scherzer you still have it for only one more year or whatever the case is there but you don't need to get rid of an Alvarez or anything like that Mm -hmm. for for a rental like you mentioned before also another thing that I think is important to note here is that you you're also like welcome to the big leagues you now have the Steve Cohen tax on 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 your trades so you're not giving up the less to get enough anymore you're gonna have to pay a bigger price just like the yankees would have had to do to get castillo or whatever the case is there so that's part and parcel when you're you know the big swing and stick in the league now that steve cohen is and is pissing off gms left and right like george steinbrenner used to do or whatever the case is you're now gonna have to pay in tax for for the players that you want to get for and if you don't want to play ball go get them in free agency that's just kind of the way that it's going to go there and then the other thing is kind of what I said with, about the Yankees. I don't think I said on the podcast, but I, I definitely said in our group chat is that vibes are high, right? Maybe we shouldn't make a gigantic move if vibes are this high. Uh, yeah. I, I, I know it sounds weird to say like, let's not, let's leave a hole in the lineup, but I felt that way with like with the Yankees for a while and they started having a downtick. So I guess it wasn't there anywhere, but if you're going to keep up that level of performance, why shake up the locker room? You know, it, it, Maybe Thomas Nito is uh, the like the guy, the glue guy in the entire. League. Sorry. <laughs> What's up, Cheddar? <laughs> no, I, I know, yeah. I know what you mean. Like, like Nito is by all accounts that that catcher that pitchers like throwing to, right? And that does mean something. It's something you always talked about um, with the Yankees and and Cole having his preferred catcher and Higashioka being a zero offensively, but doing the other stuff, right? Like. I, t- I totally feel that. And that's why I didn't care much about not getting Contreras. I always expected us not to get him because why would the Cubs take anything less really? Right? Like what, what, why would they take anything less than the best prospect for one of the best catchers in baseball? You're not giving him up for, for a bag of bones. 
Yeah, but they're, they, I mean, realistically, if you're the Cubs, you're he's going to walk at the end of this year anyway. So you're going to get a back end first round pick. So wouldn't you rather have even a, a middling, you know, someone that's a little more certain than like a middling end of first round, comp, you know, compensation pick? You know, because I don't think he's going to resign there. I mean, he might, but who wants to be a part of a rebuild and be teammates with Clint Frazier? Like, who wants that? <laughs> Clint yeah. Frazier's not on the team. He's no, he's, the, team he's been tolling AAA, and I follow him on Instagram, and all he does is he's trying Wait. to come up with, like, a clothing line. Like, he, nothing about baseball. He's, like, basically giving up on baseball and just uh, Concept Sunday. That's that's all he talks about is his, is his clothing line. Also, one, one other thing I want to add to just what I was saying before. With Billy Epler, he is a Brian Cashman disciple, too. He's going to live on the margins with trades. Like that, He's going to do what Brian Cashman does. That's what makes Brian Cashman successful. It makes it frustrating with fans. But Brian Cashman typically doesn't lose a lot of trades. They'll lose one here and there. And Billy Epler is going to do the same exact thing, too. That's not where the Mets are going to make their splashes. That's not where they're going to cut their teeth forward. It's going to be free agents. So don't expect, like, unless Steve Cohen has a losing season or is on, on the outskirts for uh, them to make these kind of big splashes at the deadline, like, like, like you would want them to. And you know, who stepped up real big for the Mets too? Chris Bassett over like the last, uh, I think the last nine outings going back to like early June, he's got a two ERA with a 55 to 11 uh, K to walk ratio in like 60 plus innings. Like he's been, ace level the last couple of the basically the last month and a half and that's like you know he'd started off really hot and then he cooled down a little, but now he's really starting to turn it up again and i think he's like exactly that solid number three starter um that the mets would you know turn to in a in a short playoff series i think for you know kind of you know to kind of segue a little bit i think for them what they what they need to concentrate on the rest of the way through is just kind of figuring out who's starting game three and game possibly game four unless you're going to shorten the rotation in the playoffs. And I think Bassett has really stepped up to, to be that guy. And, um, you know, he's a, he's a joy to watch um, 99. I know he kind of struggled in the middle innings last night, but he was able to, you know, buckle down and get through, um, you know, some of the, some of those struggles in the middle innings and give them eight, eight solid innings last night. And that was, you know, he's been a really, really great pickup. And, you know, someone who I've been, I've been kind of bumping my chest on um, for the Mets ever since they acquired him. He's one of those guys that just like ever since day one as a Met, you know he was going to grind through starts, even if he wasn't crushing it, right? He was always going to grind through starts and, and battle out. He had that tougher stretch in the middle, but over the last 30 days, I mean, uh, he's 3-1 and one with a 1.85 ERA. It, it's, it's really good. And if you look through the Mets' numbers over the last 30 days for pitchers, I mean, you got to go down eight pitchers to get to a 2 ERA. So the pitching staff's clicking on all cylinders. You expect some sort of regression at some point. Uh, but let's just do a couple words here on one of the guys who like Aaron judge is taking the league by storm. And I don't mean that from a New York perspective. I mean that from a national landscape and it is the trumpets. It's Edwin Diaz over his last uh, nine outings, right? That's nine outings. He has 10 innings pitch. Cause he had that one, two inning save two hits, 21 strikeouts, zero walks, zero home runs in 10 innings. I mean, like it's silly. And, and you know, you could only ever have so much confidence with the closer in general. Any closer, I don't care, outside of Marion Rivera, there's always nerves. Right now, Mets fans, we are at a place where 
he comes out and you're like, we're winning this game. It's over. automatic. It's automatic. It's, it's automatic. No one can beware touch the Ides of March. Beware 100%. the Ides of March. You know where I'm going with this. You know where I'm going with this. But we need to give him his flowers and give him praise because he deserves it. It's incredible to watch. What what brings that down to earth, though? If you guys want to give your shouts too, please give your shouts. But what brings that down to earth? What changes that that shakes his confidence? Is it his one bad outing? Can it can f this whole ask thing? Clay, ask Clay Holmes. Ask Errol Chapman because at times they are the best relievers in baseball, and then one day it just happens. And then right. ask Edwin Diaz, who has also had years where he's not been very good at all. Yeah. Uh, I, I never get too comfortable with the closer is what I've learned after being spoiled by Mariano Rivera for the better part of my life. Um, you never know. So, and wait till the playoffs happen and, and, and things can change because they even changed for Mariano Rivera when, you know, I'll never forget the, the, the Diamondbacks last game of that world series. So you, you never know what, don't put too much stock into a closer, my friend. That's just some professional experience there. And no one, Mo, people don't talk about the 97 series, how he really, he really messed up that uh, caused them to not go back to back in 97. He blew it in the divisional league. No one, everyone wants to talk about 2001, 97. He really uh, did not do great. Um, but as far as Diaz goes, you know, someone who I've, I've made fun of on this podcast for years for not having back to back saves um, as a Met, it took him like two and a half years to do it. But this is exactly the guy who you want on this team and was worth, you know, that Cano trade. And, you know, I, I the I the Mariners would love to have Edwin Diaz or this version of Edwin Diaz when, you know, when when they traded him away in 2018, he was an all-star level closer. He basically this is the best year of his career right now. Um, and this is someone that's absolutely invaluable on a roster, especially given some of the other holes in the Mets bullpen. I know Seth Lugo has been better of late. Um is still very much a matchup guy, and they went out and got Givens. But having someone there who is as automatic as automatic can be, I mean, you're talking 91 strikeouts in 45 innings. That's incredible. With only 12 walks. And walks was really Edwin Diaz's bugaboo for um, his early times. Of he was watching, walking way too many guys, and now he's – Got that so under control. It's um, it's absolutely invaluable to have someone that's that nails at right. the end of the game. And, and from an approach perspective, it looks like because the, the broadcast talks about it, he's over seventy percent first pitch strike, right? And now teams obviously know that, and they are looking for that first pitch, and it just doesn't matter because it's one hundred one on the black, or it's a filthy slider, or that damn changeup that's ninety four, like. It's just yeah. me and my dad were watching the game on Sunday um, when it was the DeGrom start. Like the emotions were already high at City Field. It was an electric atmosphere. At least it sounded like it with the song in the beginning for DeGrom. The trumpets played. SNY didn't even cut to commercial when, when Edwin Diaz came out for, from the bullpen. It was amazing. And me, me and my dad were sitting there literally laughing out loud because of what he was doing to those hitters. And he faced Dansby, Dansby Swanson, uh, Matt Olson, Austin Riley. Struck them all out back to back to back. And none of them stood a chance. Those are three of the better players we have in the National League. Like, it, it's yep. just, it's silly. You sit there and you chuckle to yourself because you don't even know what's happening. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And obviously, if the Mets are going to do anything um, this year, it relies on Edwin Diaz continuing to be um, the closer who he's been so far. So, um, you know, your fingers crossed that, you know, they continue to keep it up. Even if he falters a little bit, he's still um lights out and gonna be that guy so 
And he's just a, he's just fun to watch. And I feel like he's gotten more of like a not even just a New York spotlight, but like a national spotlight. Like people people are talking about Edwin Diaz around the league and around baseball. Yeah, which is again just awesome when you can get the national storyline. All right, let's do one more topic here on the Mets and Yankees. And this one's more anecdotal and more fun, if you will, because it, it is an ongoing thing. I, I have group chats firing off about this every single day. Our group chat talks about it uh, pretty frequently as well. So, Alec, let me just go to you first here. Mets and Yankee fans have a, an interesting beef going on right now. And it's it's like, to Yankee fans, it's like some of them say it's not even a beef. We don't care. Mets fans are saying it's soft that you don't care. Like, show up. Like, let's, let's, let's battle this out. Like, you're just scared. Whatever. So, there's this thing going on. Some people want to say it's not a thing. Some people want to say it's a thing. I say the more the merrier when it comes to drama and debate within New York baseball right now, we have two of the best teams in baseball and some fans want to fight about it. And I think that's fun. Some Yankee fans, however, are saying like, Oh, this is small potatoes. Who cares? We'll talk in October, blah, blah, blah. So Alec in all these debates that I know go on in your group chat and your life as well, where do you stand right now on the state of New York baseball and the Mets and Yankees both being very good? I think it's awesome. I mean, that's, that's my response to that. I, I I'm happy. Both teams are good. I'm always going to, find a way, even if my team is worse, to say that they're the better team. Uh, I think the fact that we're even having the debate is just the best. It's so much fun to shit on my Met fan friends, to get angry about what's going on when they have, uh, you know, some kind of justified notions that the Yankees are doing something that could be improved, and I just won't allow that. I don't think I can, like, I'm not going to say that the Mets are a better team because they won a two-game series at City Field. I knew that was going to happen. I said that on the uh, on this uh, this podcast, I don't really care. They're in different points of their season, right? Where the Yankees were two months ago is kind of where the Mets are now. I don't know. I just don't know who the better team is, but I know that they're both going to be exciting to watch in the playoffs, and that's awesome. It's nice to know that they're both almost definitely going to have a bye week for the first uh, for that first series that I was terrified about too. That's awesome. And I just love that this is also not just a one-year thing, clearly, for either team. This is going to be going on for the next couple of years at the very least. And no matter when the Yankees and Mets have both been good at the same time, it's never really been a prolonged period. Uh, so uh, I, I'm enjoying it. That, I, I know you want me to say that the Yankees are better or the Mets are better or whatever the case is, but it's just fun. Uh, uh, New York's a better place when the, when the, when both the Yankees and the Mets are good and when the Knicks are good. So, Yeah. I mean, I wanted a taste of uh, some of the smack mm. talk that you throw Mets fans way, but uh, you know, I, I, know I what still you hate them. If you want, if you want to like, listen, you could bait me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'll take the bait oh, every I, time. I probably will. Before <laughs> this episode's over. <laughs> <laughs> like today, today I, I like preemptively got heated in a group chat where, you know, some Yankee fan, fan friends in the group chat were saying something like, uh, who cares? Like somebody sent a Mets uh, Instagram post about how good they've been over the past two weeks. Yankee fan instantly responds, who cares? Doesn't matter. Right. And then anyway, I would on. be disingenuous if I, if I didn't care about the records, I've been saying it all season that the Yankees had a better record than the Mets and, and it was amazing to have that. So, you know, you know where I stand there. Yeah, of course. So I instantly got heated. So I type back in you, I literally called him a coward hypocrite mm-hmm. <laughs> right for the jugular. I was like, you're a coward hypocrite and your approach is soft. You're mentally hedging, blah, blah, blah. And then he like, as I'm typing that he sent something at the same time, and he was like, honestly, I've been enjoying the Mets. I can't lie. The, the trumpets give me the tingles. And, and I was like, damn it. I, right when I try to be mean and like say something super rude to him, he comes back and says, yeah, I can't lie. Like I've been enjoying your team. I'm like, God damn it. I just wanted to be mad. I wanted to fight. 
I couldn't even get my fight off. Also, when Pete's saying he was texting his friend, he was really texting his mom, and he was trying to get on his mom's case. <laughs> I'm like, Ma, the Mets are better. And she's like, all right, did you try your new pants on yet or what? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how that would go. Uh, Drew, Drew, how do you feel about this situation here? Do you, do you feel the tension? Do you care? Where, where are you at? No, I think it's I think it's not just great for ba- uh, for you know New York fans. I think it's great for baseball, as we were talking about before. It was the highest rated um, uh, game on ESPN um, all season for Mets and Yankees. So it, yep. I I don't know how else like you know I don't know how else you can you know slice it and say like people not just New York fans are interested between this rival when these two fra- two teams are good. It's special. It's absolutely you know it doesn't happen all. That often the Yankees have been consistently good. The Mets are sometimes good. But now that like, you know, a lot of times when the Mets get off to a good start, a lot of it's smoke and mirrors. We always talk about this would be around the time of the year. You know, the last couple of years we'd be like, oh, the Mets are going into a tailspin and then they crash and burn in August and September. But that's clearly not the case here. That's they're turned up the intensity. They are now, you know, solidifying themselves as one of not only probably one of the better teams, one of the top two teams in the national league, but I still think the Dodgers are amazing. Um, and they're going to have to slay that dragon the same way. The Yankees are going to have to slay the Astros um, to get to the world series. But um, you know, they're one of the best teams in baseball. So, and that's only, that that's only good for, for everybody. And again, um, you, you can't bait me into, into getting into saying no. uh, bad, bad things about anybody. But um, Kyle Higashioka, yeah, except except for him, fuck that guy. And I'm so glad that Trevino is taking over the starting catcher. And I can't wait until 2023 when he is no longer on the roster, and it's the ta- is the tandem of uh, Rotvet and uh, Trevino going forward. So really excited about that. Fuck my man, guy, Austin, Kyle Higashio. My man Austin Wells not not factoring into your future plans of the Yankees. I say. Uh, I, for everything that I've read prospect wise, that his bat is where it should be. It's, he actually should probably be in triple A right now. If it's not for his bat, his just catching is really not there. So I, I think I anticipate, uh, him being like the first bait baseman or a corner outfielder by the time he makes it up to the majors. I think they're going to stick with him at catcher until he proves them otherwise. But from every, everywhere that I'm reading, he's not, a future catcher. He's a future first baseman or corner outfielder. Well, I, I do just want to say this though. It's mentally weak and a hedge that you guys say you don't care about the subway series. I, I do care. I, I just, it, it doesn't, it, if it was, if this was the world series, I would kill myself if they lost, if they got <laughs> I would absolutely kill myself. But a two game series at City Field during the season when the, when the Yankees are on a downslide and the Mets are on an uphill, I, I expect it and I can be okay with it and I can, you know, rationalize things. It bothers me though, but I made an emotional hedge on that. And like, because by saying that they were going to get swept beforehand, so it doesn't bother me as much. Yeah, exactly. So you made you emotionally hedge and that's the fact. And I will say though, I really would like the Yankees to, to not only, obviously I want them to win, but I want them to be able to do it against good teams and, when the Mets come into Yankee Stadium, I'm really hoping that they make that kind of statement and say that, hey, we can beat good teams too, and that we're just as good as you, and they're able to bounce back and be able to sweep those two games at Yankee Stadium as well. So I'm, I'm really expecting, you know, big things from this team for them to step up as much as the Mets have stepped up in the last couple of weeks. Because, again, I don't think, you know, it's nice 
that they have this continued rivalry going. But, uh, you know, I do need the Yankees to hold up their end of the bargain and, um, you know, and kind of put the Mets in their place. Well, that, that's a good distinction and a twofold answer there, Drew, because you're right. It's not just about it being the crosstown rival Mets, right? It also mm-hmm. has to do with the fact that it's a good team mm-hmm. in the other league, right? Like if the Mets were the Dodgers and they had a home-and-home two-game series with the Dodgers, Yankee fans should want to beat them because yeah, absolutely. if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best to be cliche, right? So whether it's the Dodgers or the Mets or the Cardinals or the Astros or um, – you know, who's in, who's in the West? Is it the Mariners right now? Doesn't Mariners, yeah. yeah. So whether it's any of those teams, the Yankee fans should be like, yeah, we need to put our foot down and show that we are not like slumping and a, and a giant getting ready to be slain, right? Like we need to be out here winning games, proving that we are the one to beat, not we are the ones climbing up. So, I don't I don't know that the Yankees feel like they have to prove that this season. No, and no, I- that's, wait, hold on. That, that's fine because I'm, that's not exactly what I'm saying. I'm just saying like, it almost like the fact that people were trying to downplay the Mets Yankee series and it's all Yankee fans who are doing so Got it, it. take away the New York, New York thing. You need to be good teams. And if you're mm-hmm. losing to the Astros, you're losing to the Mets, you're losing to the Cardinals, you're losing to good teams. And that means when you get to the playoffs, you're going in with like a, damn, we haven't beaten a team like this in a while. And that's not a good thing. No yeah, and the, and the, yeah. The thing is like the Yankees have really, you know, they built up such a lead where they're maybe maybe they're even taking the foot off the gas a little, which I feel like is a mistake. And I feel like you maybe you don't have to go balls to the walls for 162. But and, you know, they kind of showed it with, you know, resting, resting certain guys and stuff. But you still need to go out there and you still need to be competitive. You still need to go out there and beat the teams that, you know, that you know that you might be standing there on your way to 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 get number 28. So. Um, you know, like, like you said, they really need to go out and beat teams that they should that, you know, that are just as good as them. And, and, you know, not that they have to prove it because they built such a lead up, but, you know, just, just to kind of the reassurance that saying we can continue to do this despite injuries, despite everything, not exactly going our way a hundred percent of the time. Can, can you do me a favor guys? Can you, can you explain to me the origin or the, uh, the description of balls to the wall as a phrase. Balls it was me in college on Thursday and Friday night. Nice. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll it, chat offline. Is it, <laughs> it DM Alec at uh pee pee poo poo peepers. So is it, is it like, is it a frontal thing? Like you're going so hard that you smash into the wall, your balls hit frontal, or is it, you know, your back's against the wall. You, you lean over, get the ball, push off, off the wall. It's going to depend on the person, you know. No. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking if you're going head first, right, which is the saying, it's what you would think. It's, you know, you're going head head on, right? I think it's to be cocks to the rock. Yeah. Not, not balls. Or you could be, you could be standing perpendicular to the wall, swaying back and forth really <laughs> aggressively. Oh, oh. <laughs> Let me no. get a whiteboard. <laughs> Let me diagram this out for everyone. So I'm thinking I just watched Jackass uh, forever at 4.5, whatever. On so Netflix. We know what's on your mind. <laughs> a lot of ball shots on that, on that show, man. I'll, I'll tell you what. And the one poor guy, have you guys only seen on it? Paramount plus, <laughs> have you seen it? Have you seen, uh, have you seen any the new Jackass? I saw yeah, it. I didn't see the, the 2.5, the 4.5, whatever it is. That poor guy, Aaron, Oh yeah, big time. Oh, I'm I'm thinking about him right now, and I'm just in pain. 
That poor guy. <laughs> Holy smokes. Holy smokes. All right. So we're going balls to the wall. We're going cocks to the rock. We're doing it all right now. Um, I don't know if we have anything <laughs> else to say. Shout out to your cock or whatever it was. I don't know if we have anything else to say about baseball or not. Uh, but yeah, man, it's freaking awesome. It's exciting as hell. And to, to clarify one thing that you said before, Drew, the, the real Mets arc normally is to just crash and burn in June, July, half like, and then in August. And then it's like, all right, they're eight and a half games out. They got to win 14 out of. (laughs) (laughs) And then they can catch the Braves. If the Braves lose 14 out of 17, and then they go on like a five game win streak. You're like, let's go baby. We're back. And then they crash and burn again. That's how it actually Mm. goes. So we're in we're in realm for a crash and burn possibly we'll see we'll see what happens though it doesn't no that, that was just... an, that was an absolute statement series that they had against the Braves you know like oh, they yeah. they, they were creeping up there and then they they absolutely took care of business there and against the Braves who were at full full capacity it's not like they were missing uh, Acuna it's not like they were missing anybody like they took down you know they put them in their place. Uh, when they and they took care of business exactly what they need. Everyone stepped up what they need to. Degrom had an amazing start. I really wish he would have, um, you know, gotten that quality start if you had him in fantasy. You know, that five and two thirds with the with the ten strikeouts. Like if if you had him and you're just like, ah, oh, I could have used that extra like thirteen points or whatever it is. Um, but aside from that, like he, they've been they they stepped up and they took care of business, and that's exactly what you kind of want to see against. You know. You, yeah, I know Alec liked to say in the group chat every time like the Braves were creeping up, he would post like <laughs> memes and stuff. And then like the Mets really they they cup checked them and they they put them back in their place. It wasn't memes. I was just posting numbers that had nothing to do with anything. I was just posting <laughs> oh. the number like 0.5 over and over again, stuff like yeah. that. <laughs> Can I be? A, I'm going to be a bad friend right now, but a good podcast host for content. Oh purposes. no! <laughs> <laughs> One more reason of why Drew's not allowed at the parade. Drew tipped me off on a side text when the Astros caught up to the Yankees and the Mets caught up to the Yankees. He said, if, if you want to share this with Alec in the group chat, the Astros have the same record as the Yankees. <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, Andrew, Drew told me on a side text. He said, hey, by the way, I don't know if you know, the Astros and the Mets are within a half game of the Yankees if you want to razz Alec a little bit. Yeah, but the Astros, the Astros are not in the Yankees division. I don't care about that. I care about winning the division. Field, Yankees haven't won the division field, in like five years. Home I, field. They'll have home field for most of the playoffs. Like, that, that's, that's – that, that matters. I don't, I don't need them to have it all the way through. They've won World Series plenty of times without having home field advantage throughout. I care about getting to the playoffs and getting that first round by. I, I literally have never cared about the other teams in the division. Drew has been the one who's saying, like, you need to have home field uh, advantage for the playoffs. I don't really care. Either the Yankees are going to beat the Astros in the playoffs or they're not. I don't really think home field has anything to do with that anymore. I think it's either in their head or it's not. So, <laughs> Well, I enjoyed those texts from Drew. I was actually on vacation. I had, like, no service, and I, I got a text finally. I was like, ooh. Ooh, what am I going to do? <laughs> I don't even think I did anything of it, but it was, it was fun nonetheless for me. Uh, all right. Any last words on baseball before I make, uh, I make Alec give me a five minute giant steak. Any last words on baseball? Um, I, I think that uh, just to kind of go off of New York sports, uh, New York baseball a little bit, that Soto trade that went down. Um, I don't think we gave it. It's, it's um, proper due because it was an absolute historic baseball trade. Just overall, you never see a 23-year-old superstar get dealt um, 
you know, from a team that just won a World Series, you know, two years ago. And it's just incredible that that they the Nationals, you know, just collapse that much. They go from World Series champion having a perennial, basically having like Willie McCovey, a modern Willie McCovey on their team to just dealing him away for um, again, they got decent package, but I don't think they got enough for him. And um, this you can be... never get enough for for someone like yeah. That. Any anytime anytime you you trade the superstar, the team that gets the superstar wins that trade ninety nine percent of the time because like prospects are always prospects, and everyone likes to hug prospects and um, you know you know dream on them. But a lot a lot of time they just just don't work out. But when you have a commodity like Juan Soto to just <laughs> trade him away, and um, and I don't know how the Padres just continue to make all these trades all the time where they just get, they get hater and they also get Josh Bell along with them and they get a, a th- half every single person in their lineup has also been acquired they had Clevenger, via, via trade. Yeah. Clevenger and, and Darvish, I believe was a trade or was he a free agent? I forget. No, what trade, he was there. Trade. They, they just continuously do that. And they, I don't know how they have enough money. Like they're a small market team. They yeah. don't have a huge stadium. It doesn't make any sense how they can even afford to get them. They're paying free agents like Manny Machado ridiculous mm-hmm. amounts of money. And then you have all of this 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 prospect capital to just continuously trade year over year. It doesn't make any sense. And it, it, are they going to be incredibly screwed in like three years when, when like contracts are up and, and there's no prospects left to trade? Or are they just going to develop these nothing burgers into, into mm-hmm. viable prospect, uh, like trade chips? I have no idea. Yeah, it could also it could also be that small market team saying they don't have money is complete bullshit. But yeah. um, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the Rams in football, right? Like, it seems like the Rams are the only team who don't have a salary cap. Like, they just take yeah. every, every big name player. The Warriors. Yeah. yeah. Well, the war the Warriors had, like openly have just paid the tax, which is you yeah. know tip mm-hmm. of the cap to their to their ownership, saying, "Wait, we, we can win championships. We'll pay whatever freaking tax we can." Right. Like, so that's just kind of a shout out the Rams. It's like almost impossible what they're, what they're even doing. It's like, Oh, Von Miller's available. Yeah, sure. We'll take him. We'll pay him, <laughs> we'll pay him the, the premium. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't know how the frick it happens. How do they have a whole roster? Uh, but some teams just figure it out, I guess. I mean, how funny though, that Gallo goes to the Dodgers and they win like a bunch in a row, obviously nothing to do with Gallo. He had two hits, mm-hmm. like whatever. Um, and, and then, the Yankees lose Gallo, lose a bunch of games. The Padres get Soto, lose a bunch of games. Mm, like yeah. It's completely backwards, but that's baseball, Susan. Yeah, and the, in the same way that the Mets checked the the Braves, the Dodgers absolutely checked the Padres. They were like, "Oh, you got Soto and Bell and all these guys. Like, yeah, we're just we're gonna sweep you anyway." Like that's how good the Dodgers are. So talk about um, little brother mentality. The, the Padres, they 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 right, are absolutely rent free, rent free for the Dodgers. Yeah. Crazy. Oh, good good stuff on baseball, boys. Let's do a quick little football primer because actually it's a perfect time to do just a touch of football talk here. Mm-hmm. I've been starting to dive into my research and my podcasting on the NFL stuff, but Hard Knocks starts. And I don't know if you guys are Hard Knocks fans. I usually watch. Sometimes I get more mm-hmm. invested than others. But when Hard Knocks starts is like the start of football season to me. Like I know training camp started like two weeks ago and whatever. I don't follow – all the minutia of every reporting. Oh, this one guy made a good catch. Like, I don't care. Like I've seen a million guys make plays in practice. That doesn't matter. So I don't care about every little report in training camp, but when hard knock starts, it's like, all right, depth charts are getting solidified. Uh, preseason games are here. It's time to go. So Alec, with that being said, the giants have a season coming up. 
the New York football giants and they don't hang out with the San Francisco giants when they go to play the, the Niners. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's an interesting outlook here for the giants, new coach, new energy seems like a actual competent guy, not a Jason Garrett running your freaking offense guy Lee. So Alec, how you feeling about the G men right now? I want to hear your takes. So this is the first year I'm going into giants season not saying that they're, they're going to be a playoff contender so that should probably indicate that they're going to like win the super bowl or something like that because every time <laughs> that i say that they're going to be a playoff contender they're like the worst team in the league um i also have a hard time with the training camp parts because it's especially in new york it's like daniel jones makes horrible pass that gets immaculately picked off by you know dory jackson how could it be an immaculate pick when it's a horrible pass like you know there, there's clearly an agenda what right. you're doing it's either it was either a great pick or it was a bad pick or it was either a great pass or it wasn't you can't have it both ways so you never really know um i contend that daniel jones is a very talented quarterback he has not been a very good quarterback you have to hope coming in with brian dable who you don't know if he was the reason Josh Allen took the leap, but he was definitely there for it. So even if he wasn't the reason, he had to be part of the reason. And he had to learn something about why they do that. For all intents and purposes, Josh Allen and Daniel Jones, on paper, I want to heavily caveat it by saying on paper, have a very similar skill set. Uh, and uh, like I, Daniel Jones is like top three uh, accuracy or some crazy stat. I'm being hyperbolic, but top three accuracy stat when passing like past 20 yards or something like that in the league. Obviously, his bugaboo has been turnovers. Now you have you have bookend tackles for the first time in like 15 years on the Giants. You have you have both sides of the line set up for the future, which is really nice because it's getting back to Giants football. We are all Giants fans here. We all know what Giants fans expect. They want to see ground and pound. They want to see tough lines uh, and not nothing too flashy, too flashy, and just be what the Giants are. And they're building a team around that again. And now you also have Wink Martindale on the defensive side of things, who's not. I don't want to say he's revolutionizing the Giants. He's just modernizing the Giants, right? He's he's bringing a system that makes sense for the, this day and age. Uh, and then in addition to that, you also have Josh, uh, Josh. I believe it's pronounced Shane, not Shown. I always yeah, screw that up. Yeah, because yeah. I, I, I always read it, you know, uh, whatever. And uh, he seems like he knows what he's doing. And, you know, Jerry Reese got a lot of crap. D- Dave Gettleman was a really bad GM. Jerry, yeah. Reese, Jerry Reese won two Super Bowls, right? And that, that, that has to be remembered when you talk about him. But Dave, Dave Gettleman was mostly – he didn't draft poorly, but his contracts were horrible and they hamstrung the team and things like that. But, but it seems like we have – we're modernizing this team – building it around the fundamentals of what make the Giants the Giants. And then if they can just maintain injuries to a degree that's like league average instead of, you know, being snake bitten like they've been the past couple of years, then they could be a viable team in the NFC East. That's the goal I want I have in mind for the Giants this year is to be a viable team in the East that goes in every game and they can win or lose. Right. And I don't I and I think that's the growth you want to see out of this team this year. I also don't know what it's going to look like. My last point is that I, I, the, the, the Daniel Jones question lingering over the season, the entire season, is going to be a weird one because uh, this is his make or break year and you have that franchise tag option. But when do you pull the trigger on a franchise tag? Is it if he has an average season? Is it Does he have to kind of show out and be awesome this year? What do you do there? And that's going to be lingering over the season the entire year. So, Yeah. Uh, he absolutely fran- has to show out. You can't, you can't, you can't go into 
if you're going on an upward trajectory with question marks at the quarterback position, like you can't, it can't happen. You can't be saying if he continues to improve or get his act together, like he has to make significant strides this but year. But what does that look order. like? Does he have, because there's, there's only like five quarterbacks in the world that are like flawless or close to flawless, right? You're two not going to have the two carriers. Yeah. He's not going to be that. He'll never be that. But, 25 other quarterbacks in the league aren't that right. That's just mm-hmm. kind of the way that it is. So what is that? That's my question is, and I don't expect you to have the answer. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody really has the answer. Like what do you need to see out of him this year to be confident? Sorry. So No, I have, I have the answer. I have it. Okay. Have mm-hmm. the okay. Here we go. Uh, no. So the franchise tag is so clutch for teams and fans. It sucks for players. Sometimes, sometimes it's really great for players. Shout out Kirk Cousins. Um, but <laughs> if Daniel Jones is decent this year. And I mean on the good side of decent. I don't mean the type of decent yeah. he's been in the years past, where it's like, oh, this team's competitive. Every spread they have against no matter what team is seven points or less, even if they're underdogs, right? Like, I know it's a weird way to think about it, but if the Giants go into every single week as, you know, a, a between a, a three and a six and a half point dog, like, all right, they're not a bad team. Like, they're, they're in it to win it. They're around town. They're here. If all of a sudden it's like, uh, Giants plus 12 and a half Giants plus 11 and a half. It's like, we're, we're, we're not expected to win at all. If that, no. if we eclipse that and Daniel Jones is playing decent football, you only bring back Daniel Jones. If there's no other option, because that's the problem about having a decent quarterback right now is if the Giants win seven games, seven and nine, they're going to have the ninth pick or whatever. They're going to have the 11th pick or something like that. And you might not get the quarterback you want in the draft or have the opportunity to draft somebody big time. So you have that backup plan if he's decent to franchise tag him and, and let it ride. But I think right now with this GM and this front office coaching staff not being um, uh, belabored, that's not the word, like attached to, attached handcuffed. to, handcuffed, sure, attached to this quarterback as they didn't make the pick, that helps them even if he's decent, move off him. It's like, oh, it's not our guy. We're going to go get our guy. Uh, so I think that's the positive that I would spin. Even if Daniel Jones makes some strides, but not enough strides, you have him as a backup plan, but reality sets in the GM could say, listen, that's not our guy. He's not going to bring us a next level. Let's go elsewhere. And I think both could be positive. The only problem is how long does that Daniel Jones ride get? If you do tag him up, then he wins seven games again or eight games. And, and then all of a sudden it's like, now we're just mediocre. We spent all this money. We don't have a quarterback still. So that's that's the the worry of a franchise tag. You kind of see it what that happened to Washington, right? Like they were competitive with Kirk Cousins for a while, and he made the franchise tag. They made some playoff games and whatever. It was probably a nice little run for them. Once that that run ended, they didn't have a quarterback and their resources were exhausted. They didn't have the talent they had when Kirk was getting them to the playoffs seemingly, you know, every year or so. So I, I, it's gonna be tough. The one thing I do want to say on paper, and I'm not going to do a whole thing here about potential and whatnot, but like on paper, there's some good players in this team. Kadarius Tony to me is one of going to be one of the most frustrating giants we've had in a long time, because it's undoubtable that when he's on the field and when he's getting targets, he's freaking electric. He's awesome. I, since day one did not want the giants to pick him. I loved Elijah, uh, Elijah Moore, who the Jets got. I think he's way more solid, way more reliable, whatever. That being said, Tony's freaking sick. If you just pull up the three games where he really played, insane numbers, insane highlights, the whole nine. Who's on the field? 
is Galladay going to play nine games? Tony plays seven. Then we're, we're screwed. We're nothing. We're not relevant. We're not competitive. If Tony and Galladay are playing 15 games and, and getting numbers, okay, this offense is a real offense. And now we're not scoring 14 to 17 points a game and we can score 24. Like I just want, we talked about having a ground and pound team, Giants football, Giants football. That's hard to find in today's day and age. It's hard to sustain in today's day and age. I don't want to see that anymore. I want to see a, a Giants team that can sling the pill a little bit, who can move the ball in bunches, who can score points. Like, I don't, I don't think, unless you have an elite level defense and an elite level run game, the Giants football doesn't exist. You have to be elite at both. Otherwise, you need to pass the ball with success in the red zone the whole nine. So I, I don't, I don't think that's fair. I think I, I, I think that one begets the other, right? Like if you, They definitely if you, help each other, for sure. It's it's never 50-50. You always you always lean on one to open up the other, right? That that's just the way that it that it is. So the problem I think that the, with the Giants have is it literally it's just question marks at every part of the team. Like there's no part that's not a question mark. A lot of those question marks are kind of promising and you hope that they're gonna break, but it's gonna fall somewhere in the middle. Either you know, it's not gonna break entirely in their direction, it's not gonna break entirely out of their direction. You're gonna to have to see how it lands and work with the pieces that they have. But they're you know, we're, we're talking about how great their rookies are. They're still rookies. You have no idea how a rookie's gonna function. You have Saquon Barkley, who's like still 25 years old. Saquon Barkley with good with a, a good offensive line in front of him could be very good. Once your running game is solid. Daniel Jones is not fumbling the ball every five seconds because he is not under constant pressure because they know they're not going to run the ball because Saquon Barkley is not going to rush for one or two yards. So ground and pound doesn't just mean you're throwing three times a game, right? You're still throwing your normal amount. You just need to open it up more to be valuable. That was what Eli Manning made a living off of, right? And I don't think that ever goes out of style. Uh, I don't think that that's like an antiquated way of doing things. The Patriots did that for the past 30 years, like that, or 20 years with with Tom Brady, is, is just do enough to open up the passing game so that you can get it done. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. If you think about all the best teams in the league, I'd say 80% of them have strong run games. They do, right? Right, And and even the ones that don't, commit to it, right? Like the Rams, even when they had a mishmash of Henderson and injured Akers and, and whoever the hell else they had running the ball, they weren't the most successful runs. But, you know, one guy every single week had 16-plus carries. Right. Uh, and and they, they committed to it, and they got some sort of balance to open up the play action and et cetera. And you're right, Daniel Jones throws a good deep ball. Who's going to be there for him? Will he have the time? It's all question the mark. It's all, all the, the question marks. Yeah. All right. So uh, good stuff. I'm saying we'll, we'll do a bigger prediction, obviously, on football down the road. I'll probably get Pat Boyle back in here soon. But uh, what's your what's your number? Your target number here is it six? Is it seven? Floor, I think, is five games. Ceiling on a perfect perfect season where everything breaks right, like perfect 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 is nine. I mm. think. Uh, and that's, you know, acknowledging that we're a 17 game season now. Uh, so, you know, remembering that uh, I think they win seven games this year and I would be happy with seven games. I think that's the, they need to have upward trajectory uh, for the first time in a couple of years. I thought it was going to be last year, but that team just wasn't constructed to absorb any of the injuries they had. I mm-hmm. think they're a seven win uh, team this year. I'm happy with the seven win team. Wow. Improving on uh, four and 13. That's very bold. <laughs> They haven't well, improved. On, I mean, they went down last year from, from a five-win season. Yeah, it's true. And, and, you know, there's two different types of six-win teams, for example, right? Like there's a six-win team that you are understanding the positives and you're seeing mm-hmm. the growth and you understand why you can be happy with six. 
And then there's six win seasons where it's like, we left four wins on the board because we couldn't manage the game. We had bad turnovers or whatever, whatever it is. So, all right, good stuff on the giants. Good little primer there to start to get ready for football. That's all we got except for, I just want to hear like two sentences on She-Hulk. Alec, what do you think? CGI is the worst CGI I've ever seen in my life, but I'm still pumped about the show. I mean, it's going to be fun. Uh, I think I, I like the vibe that it's going for. I am all about different stuff with Marvel. If I like it, I like it. If I don't, I don't. What I don't want to see is Hawkeyes or things like that that are just like, or Falcon and the Winter Soldier that are just super, yeah, right right down the line. Um, but Miss Marvel was really fun at times. It was kind of bad at times, but you know, it, it was bookended really well. And I think she hopes different. And I'm all about that. I liked Multiverse of Madness a lot more than a lot of people did because it was different. Uh, I, you know, Thor Love and Thunder was kind of a swing and a miss for me, but that's okay. I don't need to love everything. This one looks fun and different. Plus we're getting Charlie Cox's Daredevil, which is hype city for me uh, on that one. And then Jamila Jamil, who, uh, who, who I like from a uh, uh, good place. She was awesome in that too. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm very weary on the CGI too, but I'm so hyped for Charlie Cox and that Daredevil costume and that glimpse you got in the last teaser. The yellow is that classic comic book uh, costume when he did the, I forget what the arc of the comic is called, but um, looks looks spot on, amazing. Charlie Cox is great. I just really hope that, uh, and I have, co- I have good confidence that Disney's not going to Disneyfy the, you know, the daredevil and i'm sure they're gonna bring back punisher they're not gonna they're not gonna be quippy uh superhero it's not gonna be thor love and thunder with those type of guys and they'll be able to keep that same tone for those characters because those marvel series on netflix those are beloved you know top those are top mcu stuff for me some of them just yeah not jessica jones not uh iron fist um, not even defenders for most defenders, but I think Punisher and Daredevil are top tier, you know, Marvel content. So I, I hope that they keep that same tone. I'm pretty confident that they will because I don't think they're gonna. Um, I think fans will have a very visceral reaction if they um, they change up what works so well for them, um, you know, previously. Yeah, uh, with She Hulk for me, I, I've heard some of the news about the CGI uh, and graphic artists for for Marvel and everything. And the turnaround times are insane and the expectations are so high. So I, I definitely give a little bit benefit of a doubt with the CGI on the series, right on a movie. You know, let's be honest here. We don't want shoddy CGI on a movie on a series. The CGI is still such a high level. We just have such a high expectation. I will gladly say the CGI is not good and still enjoy the hell out of it. One thing I'm super excited for the show is just to get weird into these weird corners of the MCU and learn about all these random heroes and villains that exist or maybe just regular people who have powers, right? Like that's kind of what we're we're seeming to get into here. Like if you guys seen in the trailers, like Frogman is a character who has the potential to blow up on the internet because it's ridiculous that Frogman's Mm -hmm. a person in the MCU. Uh, Porcupine is apparently like coming into the MCU. I don't even know what that means, but it's a thing. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm so here for weird characters and just like interesting corners of this new universe that's expanding with heroes and, and power people. So that excites the hell out of me. We get some Bruce Banner action. And the way I look at some of these Disney Plus shows in general is if the show is not great, like Miss Marvel as a whole was not great, we still walk away with Kamala Khan, who I think everybody liked, right? She was awesome. She was awesome. Super charming. The hero has a chance to be really cool. Moon Knight, people have uh, issues with the show in some regard. I overall liked it very much. I almost like it more thinking back on it because I loved – 
Moon Knight as a character. I liked Oscar Isaac's performance. So if you can come out of these Disney Plus series with like three things that you like that are going to be involved in the MCU moving forward, I look at that as an absolute win. <laughs> yeah, no, and and I feel like I understood been, that reference. Been, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and we get Bruce Banner in the show too, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and the, and that's like the thing, which is the Disney's just I guess strategy with their their shows overall. Even if you looked at something like Obi Wan, the production value on some of those <laughs> shots was was awful, god awful. But <laughs> the character piece on Obi Wan was fantastic, and I think having Ewan McGregor back and all and and Hayden Christensen. <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was fantastic overall. Again, the production value and some things on that show were were lacking, and I feel like that's been a, a constant with the Disney Plus shows. Just overall, whether it's Marvel or the Star Wars, there's just been there's been lacking production issues. But overall, you have you have takeaways there that you can feel like you're satisfied with. Just um, maybe not the overall product. As again, I wish they, I loved anything as much as you love Star Wars, because <laughs> like. Legos? 95- I don't love it as much as you love Star Wars. Like 95- I do like Lego Star Wars a lot, though. Uh, but <laughs> like, like 95% of the, the past like 10 years of Star Wars stuff has been garbage. Boba yeah. Fett was entirely garbage. There was like one or two episodes or like parts of one or two episodes of uh, Obi-Wan that were good. It wasn't Ewan McGregor's fault. That show stunk. Uh, and You didn't like, like the last two episodes of Obi-Wan? They were good, but like they were, st- you still had like all the third sister stuff and the Leia stuff, like where mm. that was like forty percent of those episodes. That wasn't interesting at all. It was a huge detriment to the whole show. If it was a hundred percent Anakin and, and Obi Wan, sure, be a great show. It just absolutely was not that. Um, and and that show that was one boring ass show. Yeah, I, I, I I respectively disagree, but I know Pete has never seen a single Star War. He never, <laughs> not, not a single one. Not one measly Star War. Not even Afghanistan? No, not one war of the stars. Uh, I'm sorry. um, I feel like that's that's the overall thing with Disney Plus. Again, you can take your takeaways, but overall, I feel like they're just kind of spinning their wheels and waiting for the major stuff to happen in the movies. Like everyone wants to say, you know, big things are happening in Disney Plus, but, um, you know, they're they're really just character pieces. And really just kind of getting people from point A to point B if they don't feel like they're financially viable in a in a movie setting. WandaVision was pretty impactful. Just saying. And so so was Loki. I think Loki is the number one by by a long margin for me. But I, I uh, disagree with you there. Like the storytelling they get to do in a series with with Loki and WandaVision is is different than a movie. So if you get good stories, you get a few good characters you like, I'll live with, with shoddy CGI. Because uh, the, the bar is so freaking high with the way these they do these movies. Like, I've made some of the crappiest productions ever compared to, like, an actual television show. And it could take me days to do, like, the simplest video, right? Like, can you imagine mm. what some of these artists are trying to create with these powers that aren't even real? Uh, it, it's it's freaking hard. So, with all the CGI stuff in the news, too, I, I give that – I put that to the side for some of the stuff. You know, if it's, like, unwatchable, then it's unwatchable. But mm-hmm. it hasn't been there uh, I, I'm, I'm excited. Though. I'm pumped for She-Hulk. I think it'll be fun, and we're gonna blink and have Black Panther soon. That's true. That I, I, I still can't get over the trailer. That that trailer was awesome. I, I got. I'm hoping Ryan Coogler just pulls it off because he's done nothing to show me that he can't pull it off. But I mean that that movie has such such like production issues outside mm-hmm. of just Chadwick Boseman unfortunately passing away. 
Uh, just a lot of stuff happened. So if he can make that work, that guy can do anything in Hollywood. Yeah, facts. And, and yeah, Loki and WandaVision to me, standalone is just like great television. Like Marvel, yeah. there's just great, great television. Um, would Loki work in a movie? No, that's got to be a show. That's gotta be, and especially that they're doing a season two where they can have another eight or ten episodes or whatever it is. It needs to be serialized and you need to – that's appointment TV where there's like a mystery involved and you're trying to figure out what's going on. You want to theorize about everything going forward. Whereas like a Hawkeye movie, movie on Disney plus, that's not a theatrical release, but if they make like an hour and a half movie, that's better because they stretch that out for an extra four hours. And then again, even with that show, like Kate Bishop was a good character, I thought. And we got some Yelena back in the mix, which is another. So like, it's just a vehicle. You still, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. A couple wins. So that's cool. All right. I'm excited. We got some good stuff coming up. Freaking football around the corner. Mets and Yankees are exciting. Marvel's still cooking. Uh, we're out here. We are out here. Thrones and Lord of the Rings series on the horizon as well. Can I make an announcement? Can I make yeah, an announcement yeah. right now? Yeah, go for it. I've never watched Game of Thrones, but <laughs> I have officially started it. Okay. Just oh, temper your go. expectations. You're going to get really attached in the first couple seasons. And- I get it. Season six is shit or whatever. You don't. You yeah. don't get it. You don't get no, it. No, no. You, <laughs> you don't get, get so, it. You'll get. You'll get so happy and so excited to see where it goes. And then when you figure, when you, when you find out that like certain things have been built up and you have like your imagination, like oh my god, this is going to be so awesome when she finally or this person finally does this and it doesn't fucking happen, like, you're going to be so angry. You, you know that meme of the horse where it's, like, <laughs> yeah, beautifully drawn on one? That's what Game of Thrones is. Yeah, yeah. I've seen the Game of Thrones version of that meme. I, yeah, oh, I I'm, I'm expected. I'm expected to. I know, I feel like I'm walking into it with a better understanding because you guys paved the way. You guys have warned me that when I make that final turn, and I'm down That's on the fine. home stretch. I'm going to be. A You'll notice bit- it. You'll know when you're there too. It's not like you'll be left wondering. You'll know exactly mm-hmm. when, when that point hits. Can I say one thing before we close? Yeah. Danny Ainge has met his match with Leon Rose, and I love it. Even if Leon Rose does not get Donovan Mitchell, you have to be so excited with Le- Leon Rose just not getting fleeced for the first time. And uh, when every other GM for the past 30 years would have gotten fleeced in this exact situation uh it's got to make you so happy about the future uh, of this organization so yeah the uh tony soprano vibe with leon rose continues to grow with how he just i walked, love it walked away from the table he was like you want all that okay see you go find it somewhere else yeah, I don't yeah, know. yeah exactly I, I do also enjoy that alec i do i do i do this Hopefully. podcast had everything we talked hockey we talked baseball we talked <laughs> football we talked basketball and we talked marvel well, it, has everything. it has everything. We yeah. talked balls and cocks too. Everything. <laughs> Best episode yet, guys. All right, good uh, night, guys. Good night. <laughs> no way, sports talk. Andrew Kalanya, Alec Argento. My name is Peter Kennedy. Thanks for listening. As always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, review on your podcast apps, as well as subscribe, hit the notifications bell on YouTube. If you like the show, just don't be afraid. Send a DM, drop a comment on a post or on a YouTube video. That goes a long way for us as building this thing out. And I just love interacting with people who listen to the show. So thank you as always. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sorry for missing last week. I was on vacation. We won't miss any other weeks moving forward. I can guarantee you that. Sick brag. Mm -hmm. It was pretty sick, actually. You see this tan line, Alec? Look at that. (laughs) Whoa. Tan out here. All right. Goodbye, guys. Cheers. See ya.